Welcome to Fireside with Voxcake, podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Voxgate.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. My guest on today's episode is Kevlin Henney. Kevlin started out as a software developer and quickly caught the public speaking bug. He is now a professional public speaker and author with his own software consultancy firm. Kevin explains the struggles he went through trying to figure out what his own unique speaking style would be like, which he worked out more or less on his own. He also tells me about the evolution of speaking to tech audiences and how technological advances have made public speaking much more accessible. Kevin, welcome to the Fireside with Vox Gig podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rich. Good stuff. So I'm going to start with one of my favorite questions about uh, public speaking. How did you get started? And tell us about your first talk. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I can actually pinpoint that one. That was a user group in the mid-1990s. And I uh, had been invited to speak by the uh, person who's going to become my boss. I'd accepted um, accepted a job and she got in touch with me saying, oh, we're running this user group event. Um, you know, uh, it was the month before I was due to start work. Would you like to speak? And, and obviously at that point, I'm not going to say no. It's kind of like sneaky interview thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, I thought, yeah, let, let, let's let's go for this. I thought I've got a few things to say. Yeah. And, uh, but I'd never really, I'd never put together a talk and, um, much as I had done uh, informal chit chats and briefings and things like that, the idea of actually putting slides together and having a structure in which other people were uh, going to listen to you and uh, having a fixed time to do it in and all the rest of it outside the context of perhaps a meeting in your work colleagues, that, that was all new to me. So um, yeah, that was, uh, I didn't really have a good example to follow either. Um, in the sense that I had not, I'd only been to a few kind of uh, meetup and uh, one or two conference-like things before. So you kind of had to, you kind of had to figure it out by yourself, almost a bit. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and I don't think I did an abysmal job, but I don't think I did a great job. <laughs> is there a video? I think it was, uh, fortunately, it is in the era before it. This is so, uh, lucky you. <laughs> yes, that's that's the interesting thing is a lot of uh, a lot of my missteps and baby steps are, uh, uh, come from a land before time. This so. was um, this was a traditional sort of tech talk at a, at a meetup. You had yes, it was very much. Yeah, and it was it was it was kind of an all day. It was an all day affair, but it was done as it's a single track. Um, room of 30 or 40 people uh, so sort of mini conference meetup type thing and uh it was uh, yeah in that sense and and obviously this is 
back before the, uh, back as it was before the dawn of time, before people thought about videoing talks, it also meant that um, any talk that you had was not going to be from your laptop. You know, it's, it's old acetates and overhead projectors. Really? Absolutely, yes. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's just let's just deep dive on this because this is this is a world that I just missed. Yeah. Uh, how did yeah. you? Okay. So let's take let's talk about this in practical terms. Okay. So yeah. Go from you figure out what you want to talk about to acetates on a projector. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's uh, there, there's a there's an interesting parallel with the way that we now develop software um, to the way that we developed software in the nineties. And there is an interesting parallel with how we do talks because there was a lot of upfront planning. You really did have to do that. There's no last minute fiddling with your slides. Yeah, um, you've got a you've got a lead time on process, and uh, very much a case of you had to work out what am I going to talk about. You had a title. Um, you would uh, structure it into you'd, you'd have try and have a, some kind of structure you'd figure out, and then you try and figure out content, and you'd work with slides, then you print it out, and then you had to go and get this stuff uh, transferred to acetate, which is a much more specialised thing. And so again, you've got to account for all of these um, uh, lead times, uh, which is, there's a lot of upfront planning there, and uh, and then it's almost like the final bit is actually doing the delivery. Um, and so, and how, do you, how do you get the acetates made? So you do them by hand? Do um, well, some people would do the whole thing by hand, as in they, they would create it. But you get your local copy shops and things would, um, yeah. they would create them or um, larger companies would normally have a facility for doing that. They have a print service and so on. So there was a, but again, it's all to do with lead times and um, getting this stuff out. Uh, but what is interesting, that, and there are a couple of interesting things. So, that, so first of all, this is before the era of using too much color. Uh, using uh, it's before the era of ridiculous animations um, and uh, things like that. Uh, it's certainly around the time people would, uh, you know, the tradition of putting too much information on a slide definitely started. Uh, it definitely was an artifact of this because you'd be thinking, well, I'm just going to print this out. I don't want to print out too many acetates. And, and you, there was no kind of dynamic to it. But at the same time, one of the things that I, I do remember that it took me a while to reclaim when shifting to PowerPoint direct projection. Uh, was the idea that if you wanted to change the sequence or change your mind about anything, that was easy. You just left it. And what I find now is that people, although they have a lot of flexibility up to the last minute in terms of what the slides should contain, um, and they can diddle around with uh, animations, transitions, and all the rest of it, um, that, that gets absorbed in the slide layer rather than necessarily focusing on the subject of the talk. Um, perhaps not enough people realise that they should be able to navigate their way around their own talk so as to drop slides if they find that uh, there's an area of attention, perhaps something else to question or perhaps a thought occurs to you think, ah, you know what, I'm not going to cover that today, I'm going to cover this instead, or I'm short of time, so I'm going to miss out a whole section. And to be able to do that with some kind of flow without other people recognising it and that was actually one of the nice things about acetates is that you didn't have to learn shortcut keys for that. You could do that. So um, very primitive in one sense, but it did give you a sense of how I can control the narrative a lot more. So that was a useful side effect of an otherwise clunky process, but very different to how we put a talk together now. That's a really interesting observation. 
the presentation tools like PowerPoint and Keynote um, do let you jump around, but they're sort of obscure key commands. Yeah, and that's the thing. You have to make an explicit point of learning, whereas if I've got slides in front of me, I can mess about with the sequence and so on. So... Um, so although you know the tools allow you to do that, that's 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 only half the story. Allow you have permission and capability, but do you do you know that you can do that? And have you done that? Yes. Have you tried to actually master the obscure little key uh, uh, short, uh, shortcuts and so on? And, and you know, there's uh, uh, bits and pieces about the notion of being able to control your talk versus the talk controlling you. Um, the problem that we often find is that people commit themselves to a set of slides um, uh, and, then find, and, and then find that they actually want to give a slightly different talk, but they're, they're almost obliged to go through them because they haven't necessarily thought, well, you know, this, uh, a talk is not just a sort of straight line. It's kind of like a forking tree, you know, it's just, and it sort of tangles with itself and you can choose a different path. You can say a different thing, um, perhaps in response to something a previous speaker has said or you know, a thought that's just occurred to you. And that idea, that fluidity, should be second nature to us because we're dealing with software and the clue is in the word soft, you know, it's, it, it should be fluid and responsive to us. But sometimes people find themselves very much drawn into the narrative they first thought of rather than the one might, that might be better that's occurring to them as they're giving the talk. It's a great point. And the first, the first step of, uh, of being able to do that is often uh, the first step of being able to do anything, which is to know that it's even possible. <laughs> yes, that's right. You have to show people that this is possible. This is how to do it. Um, you know, one of the things that I get with, um, so I use PowerPoint for presentation. I um, uh, always use um, uh, extended desktop for my laptop, which means that I get the presenter view. Essential, essential. To it's absolutely essential, but I find I'm surprised by the number of people that don't actually use this. Uh, they're peripherally aware of it, but they don't use it because that's uh, it allows you a lot more um, editing control. So it's almost like live mixing. Um, you can suddenly say, actually, you know, I'm going to go off in a slightly different direction here or go back. Or do it. it gives you that extra little bit of control. You can see something that other people can't, whether it's the notes, if you, if you work to notes, um, or it's this is the upcoming slide and actually you change your mind you're going to skip a section for reasons of time um, and I've had a couple of cases where people said oh that's great you know you, you, you finish bang on time and then uh, you know uh, you well practiced that and that's the first time I've given that talk uh, <laughs> but the thing is the thing you can't see is the fact that I've gone and missed out three different sections simply because I was editing as it were um, you know I suddenly realised uh, I'm a bit short of time um, uh, or there's something that we should spend more time on. And so I will um, go to the laptop and skip a few slides, but people can't see that. Um, and, uh, and that allows you to control that flow. Um, and as I say, it is a bit, it's a bit more like mixing live rather yeah. than uh, just being stuck with the story that you first came, which is one of those things where I'm, I'm sometimes concerned. It's an interesting environment question about setup. Uh, I'm sometimes concerned when you're not in control of that. So I, there's a, company I visited and then you it was wasn't simply a case of you can't present from your laptop. Oh yeah. It's that, more a case cool. yeah you can't present from your laptop but actually they're gonna uh, you you can't even see well you can't see anything. They've got a laptop in the back of the room. 
And uh, it's a case of like thinking, ah, oh, well, I relied on this ability to yeah. uh, sort of, as it were, go with the flow. And uh, particularly in this particular one, we were taking questions as we went. So that was an interesting one. It's just like, well, I'm actually going to have to physically, visibly skip slides because there were no shortcut keys. There was no laptop. Um, so, so there is that notion, that idea that to give a presentation so that you don't become, and people often get accused, become stuck and attached to their slides to understand that you don't have to do that. You do have to have a little bit more control. It has to be kind of, um, you know, you have to have that immediacy of editing. The great thing about doing this podcast is I get to use it f- uh, for personal tuition purposes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one particular, and I, I just on this topic, one particular challenge that I have is, uh, you, you know, you have this set of slides, and um, but you're giving the talk in an ad hoc manner, and you get into a flow, and you discuss the topic of the next slide, and you do a great job on the current slide, talking about the topic of the next slide, and then you hit next on the clicker or whatever, and you've just discussed the topic that comes up on the slide. So what do you do? What do you do in that scenario? In that, yeah, that's right. Is it? You've anticipated so well that, uh, well, it's, it's almost The slide like, is now redundant, do you think? <laughs> in some senses, but it's, uh, it's a heckle. You've accidentally heckled yourself in some sense. <laughs> you know, and the point is, what, what's, what's your comeback? Um, and there's that point. You can say, you can say you can either bridge it by saying, "Okay, so this sums up what we've just been saying," and then use that as a uh, use it as a very temporary um, uh, sort of stepping stone to then move on to the next slide. So the idea is there you've shifted the emphasis. Sometimes a slide is there to demonstrate a point. Sometimes a slide is there to summarize. Sometimes a slide is there to anticipate. Now the fact that you might have originally written it with one of those roles in mind does not mean you can't on the fly repurpose it to another one. So suddenly uh, it becomes a summary slide. That wasn't your, you know, it's a summary of the previous points that you've just made. That wasn't your original plan, but you know, let's let's readjust. It's now your plan. And you don't spend long on it. You simply move on to the next one, but you can sort of bridge it from that point of view. Yeah, and I think this shows another uh, another important thing about public speaking. So that has happened to me oh easily five or six times this yeah. year. And each time I'm there on the stage going, oh, bugger. <laughs> Here I am again. And of course, uh, I don't think about it afterwards. And then it happens again. Um, yeah. What I should have done, of course, is, is, is thought about it, just as we're thinking about it now. And you prepare in advance. Yeah. If you know in advance how you're going to solve all of these little problems, then you can smoothly transition through them. Well, there's an interesting one there as well, because uh, particularly if it's the same talk or a common theme, um, perhaps a common set of uh, slides that uh, may have appeared in another talk, I think uh, sometimes I, I think of it as um, you're learning to give a talk. Um, even if you know, um, some people, they, um, they find it important to rehearse beforehand and that irons out many bugs. Uh, other people like the on the fly, I'm discovering what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. I admit to being in the second category. Uh, but even then, what I'm doing is after I've given a talk, I've learned to give it. And one of the things I do, uh, I do try to do is I, whilst it's still fresh in my mind, anything like any hiccup in the flow, just as you've described, and anything else where I've realized, you know, I keep le- I keep leaving out these slides. I keep putting them in, but I keep leaving them out. So maybe they shouldn't be in there at all. You know, I should be honest with myself and actually change the talk, acknowledge that this is how it's going, and then make the changes to the slides there and then, um, uh, or make a note of it for myself. 
And onwards. This is next time I give this, I won't find myself stuck on this slide that I don't want to be on, uh, or channeled down this sort of rabbit hole of topic, which actually isn't isn't useful, uh, or find myself skipping the same slides again and again. I should learn from that. So I try to have um, a little bit of time after a talk where I make those changes, uh, or I'll either make the changes if I know I'm going to give a related talk soon, uh, or just simply make notes. Uh, it's important, I'd... isn't it? Uh, I mean, a lot, yeah. a lot of people, myself included, would be so sort of uh, mentally exhausted from giving a talk, and, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, I survived! Thank God! Uh, I don't want to think yeah. about it anymore." <laughs> yeah, and, and um, in your head, you've done. If you've just done the talk in your head, you're done. But it's a, it's a bit, uh, it's, it's a, it's a little bit like the, this whole notion of like, well, if I'm developing, if I'm writing a piece of code, when is it done? Is it done when? Is it done when it's compiled? Or is it done when I've tested yeah, it? Yeah, you need you to test your talks. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that's, there's that notion of until I've kind of wrapped it up in my head, here are the things I want to take forward. Here are the thoughts that occurred to me. Because the other thing is that you often find, you know, somebody asks a really good question and you think, you know what, that's something I want to include in the future. I want to anticipate that uh, or integrate that. Well, that's a missing perspective that really should be there. Whatever it is, you probably learned something by the end of the talk that you did not know before, whether it is to do with slide progression, uh, topic structure, whatever it is, uh, or even your own personal style, um, that while while that iron is still hot, you have to do something with it. And it is, yeah, it is an extra chore. Uh, but that's the problem. Is, is perhaps it's, perhaps we consider it a chore. You are exhausted, but perhaps it's kind of like that's part of the shutdown or the, the tidy up of the talk. You know, think Evelyn. I think I think this is this is a this is a really important. Um, this is a really important thing to think about. Uh, as you go into a talk, you should adopt a uh, a learning perspective. So you should be asking yourself, no matter how I perform, good or bad, what yeah. am I going to learn? I, and and really be conscious about taking the learning away from every talk that you do. That's a that's a fantastic tactic. Yeah, and I think that that is a because in one sense what you're doing is you're you're establishing a hypothesis. You're saying, right, here's the talk that I plan to give. You know, here's what I think is is a good idea. Now I'm going to give it. You know, you've basically run the experiment to test the hypothesis. Now you've got to now you've got to figure out how did that go. Um, you've got to yeah. do something with that. And the problem is that there is whether you're at a meetup, um, uh, whether you're at a conference, whatever it is, there's a natural flow that can take you away from reflecting on that. And so uh, sometimes I, it, it may, you know, because I ask, as I said before, um, people have different approaches um, that, that suits their own personal style. And I'm, I'm not necessarily one, for, I, I don't rehearse, but I do prepare um, slide structure. I think about it, I think about the possibilities. Um, so that's the, the preparation, but there's the post-preparation if you want. I don't know if that's a if that's a legit word, but it is now. Yeah, well, we're uh, programmers. We're allowed to we're allowed to create yeah, words. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that that idea of okay, and what have I learned? Because that's what's going to make the next talk interesting. And I, I and that's honestly for me one of the more exciting things because I normally I, I always learn something from giving a talk. Let's test that hypothesis a little more deeply. Um, what did you learn from your worst talk? So, some uh, think of a time when you just completely bombed. Yeah, I mean, well, it was not. It was not so much a talk as a workshop. Okay. Um, so, you know, in that sense, the extended version. Uh, what I learned is that it is it is possible to get it is possible to get lost in an idea if you if it's just you and the talk. 
and you have a, a, a new material, you can go, you can go right, okay, um, I've got a new idea. I think this is going to work. And, and ultimately it doesn't hold together. You suddenly realize that as you are presenting it and as the looks across people's faces start unfolding, you're going, oh, I'm losing them. Uh, this is... Oh, uh, yes, I know that feeling. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, okay. And I've had that a couple of times, and sometimes they've not turned into my worst talks. They've, they, I've, I've learned to recover from them during the talk, except for this one. And that was genuinely a case of I, I should, and particularly where you have a longer format available to you, um, uh, many hours as opposed to something under one hour, uh, I should have taken the opportunity to change it. Um, to realize, you know what, this isn't working out. You know, hey, I'm, I'm heading in the wrong direction here and doing more of the wrong thing is actually not the right way to do it. And so um, I should have basically abandoned my plan. Um, and that, was, that, was, that was quite a few years ago. And I've, I have since kind of learned from that and done that actually in, in longer format sessions, but even in the shorter ones. Um, I remember with one talk realizing that there was a whole section that just simply didn't belong, but because of the uh, what we just discussed a few minutes ago, the ability to navigate and, and uh, pitch around, I had a conclusion slide that um, I that I suddenly realized I could I could spend a lot more time on some of the other material, um, and it was. It, take advantage of your surroundings um, and in this particular case it was a smaller uh, smaller setup so therefore there was a flip chart that people could see easily and I found myself moving over to that giving a bit more of the talk on that and then kind of coming back and reaching the conclusion slide um, and that turned out to be far more successful because I halfway through the talk you realized this is not the right talk but you still gave people a talk that was still valuable you were able to sort of as it were pivot on that uh, and still give them a, a, something that looks like it had formed fully whole, um, whilst at the, same, at the same time taking advantage of your realization. And I think that I think that for me was the discovery that you're not committed. To, you, it's this notion of commitment. How can I change the direction of my talk whilst I am giving it? And the answer should be yes. Yes, you are um, allowed to do that. If, you that's putting your audience first, isn't it? That's, that's absolutely yeah. If you realise, you know, the, the point there is, is, it's not the talk is not about the talk is not about you. In that sense, there has to be something that your audience is going to get out of it. And if you suddenly realise this, this visual, whatever it was, this plan, this approach, this too much detail, and that's a very that's a danger. Um, particularly for detail-oriented people, um, and there's, there's no shortage of those in technology. Um, no, detail-oriented people, you suddenly realize that uh, you are offering too much detail. In other words, you're offering it at a rate that people are not going to be able to appreciate it. They're not going to be able to hold on to it. And they may appreciate there is detail, but you're not helping them. Oh, this is uh, this is one of my, my bugbears with technical conference talks. The, uh, yeah. The speaker yeah. is extremely knowledgeable and just goes right into the weeds um, and page after page of code yeah. or technical descriptions. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, well, it's your job to contextualize this for us. It's your job to, to yeah. you know, connect this to the bigger feature or, yeah. and, and understand, help us understand how this fits into our world. Yeah. Um, and it's like telling us how the API works. I can look that up on Google. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's that's the problem is that you end up suddenly you've dropped to some microscopic point size. There's bullets, there's code, there's all the rest of it. It's just like all of these things. And I say one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that um, 
my font, my, my choice of font size has got larger. You know, and you know, when I'm presenting code, I make, I leave out most of the code. The font size has got larger. And sometimes I will joke and I will switch font size to show you everything. But the joke, the point there is, I'm showing you that so that we can skip it. I'm saying, oh, look at that. Okay, right. Let's find the, let's find the detail. You're not supposed to read it. Um, and there's this idea, as, as you said, the speaker's job is to try and contextualize and they're trying to create a situation in which the audience uh, understand what they're trying to say. The worst thing a speaker can do, but sometimes they feel they don't realize that that's what they've ended up doing. The worst thing a speaker can do is tell, tell the audience everything they know. Honestly, everything is really big. If you are good in your topic, your everything is huge. And simply that's going to be a fire hydrant people cannot drink from. Uh, and your job, is, is the skill is to abstract, is to leave out almost everything and hint at the larger, you know, hint at the larger story in the bigger picture. But you don't have to show everybody everything. And that... That's a, that is difficult, um, but that is a that is a thing that can be learned. That is that is that is the scale, isn't it? And I, yeah. And let's let's finish up on um, a particular topic, which is you were engineer and then you started speaking, and I yeah you're, you're, you've actually moved uh, into professional speaking. I guess I have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the main way you're in living now, right? Uh, yeah. Well, if that's what leads to me doing things. Yes. yes. So yes. In other words, that's that's my that's my as it were. Uh, publicity, if you like, um, and so therefore, on the back of that, I will do talks um, for people, uh, but I will also end up doing workshops and consultancy based on that. So that's kind of the anchor, if you like. It, it's an aspiration that a lot of people have because you, know, you end up being very independent and you're your own boss, and, and you know you you can you can kind of choose what areas of technology uh, you want to look at and, and experiment with. But um, what is that transition like, moving away from? let's say, a, a full-time engineering role or a management role, if, if you're more senior, into uh, this consultancy role where you use public speaking to, to advertise yourself, I guess. Yeah, um, it's, it's difficult to say what it is like because for me, I think it happened relatively slowly. It's, it's to do with... Different people have different motivations and it's also therefore not for everybody. Um, for me, it was a, there was a recognition... That I, the job that I had was uh, gave me quite a lot of autonomy, so I already started doing um, this anyway. And there was that notion where I suddenly thought, well, how far is it from where I am working for a company doing this to where I'm working for myself doing this? And that's actually quite a short distance. I already have a high degree of autonomy um, and uh, responsibility for what I do. And so that was a very uh, uh, that was a very fortunate position to be in because it allowed me to have have some idea of what it might feel like. Um, whereas throwing the switch from full time, I'm a developer, I'm a team lead, throwing the switch straight into, and now I'm doing something completely, completely different to rely on this. Um, that wouldn't necessarily that. I think that's that's a very difficult transition because I think I I worked into this one slowly. I used to write articles, and so there's that notion of I've already spoken at things. I've already got a uh, an outward facing view of what I already do. I'm trying to take things that I've learned and and put them out there in some form or another. So that was a that that was sort of all part of this. So it wasn't a sudden switch in that sense. Uh, Is it something so, you 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 found yourself doing, or was it a conscious decision to 
It was it was progressively something that I found found myself doing. I was speaking to an old friend. They they they, they told me, you know, they, they reminded me. Oh yeah, you said you wouldn't. You'd, you'd always quite like to do something like this, um, which you know, uh, credit to their memory over my memory. Um, but uh, it, it was, it, but it was also it synchronised slightly with a, a desire to change. Um, yeah, people have different reasons for changing their aspects of their career, and sometimes people change career completely. For me, it was a case of I very much like the involvement with people, and I had developed distaste for. Uh, company politics uh, that I found too much lurking in the back room of software. It always does, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, people have different motivations, and I, I try contracting for a bit. All, all kinds of stuff. So there's there's this idea that you're kind of looking for something. And I want, to, and I, I realise I, I love the, the the teaching role, the, uh, the explanation role, the 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 buzz that you get after you've um, uh, you talked talk about learning and uh, talk. Um, talk is a learning experience. Um, it should be a learning experience for the speaker as well as for the audience. But what we're out to get is sometimes very different. You know, maybe I'm learning about speaking, but also I learn more about the topics. I try and tie things together. So you're offering people explanation. Um, it clarifies in your mind what works, what doesn't. You see connections you were not aware of. Ideas come up. People ask you questions, and those questions spring. Uh, you know, that, that leads to other ideas. Um, and there's a sort of you're almost. Uh, Sort of exploring new uh, new thinking out there in public, you know. That's what you take. Which is why I value this idea of being able to sit down after a talk at some point and gather my thoughts, because I normally find that there are a lot of them. Um, so for me, that I, I'm rewarded by that. So that's kind of the draw for me um, in terms of being attracted to. Uh, doing that more well with that kevlin uh, i think we'll wrap up some wonderful really really useful practical tips there which is great um particularly the one about just adopting a learning approach to each talk that you do consciously learning from each performance uh, i think that's really really useful thank you so much for coming on thank you very much Richard. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of Fireside with Voxgig. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, one you can also learn. Visit foxgig.com newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.